0: Welcome to the Crypto Conversion Podcast. This week we are a Mattless podcast, yes. So, and uh, we will be next week. Matt ha- Matt was feeling a little under the weather today, and uh, he is going on vacation, much deserved um, as we all do. I am a psycho, and I don't do that very often, as much as I should. But um, as as I did a podcast this summer when I was on vacation, technically, uh, no, there's not. I we all have life; we all have things going on, and that'll happen from time to time on the podcast where I where I have something or Connor has something come up, and uh, fortunately, the, as long as I think there's two of us, I think this podcast will will do significantly well. So. Let's get into the news. I for me today, I think pressing matter we're recording this August seventeenth podcast we just
1: recorded. Definitely when people check that check that out. Yeah, check out
0: the check out the latest um episode. We had Adam Graber on. And uh I was very intrigued by the conversation we have, one of our more intellectual conversations about the parallels between emerging technology and Christianity. And uh some of the, uh, what do you call it? Like fears of what it could lead to, or sure. excitement. I don't know. Yeah. Well, he's
1: in the news right now, or at least in the on the Twitter feed because uh, he published that uh, Christianity Today article on uh, Bible GPTs. So I would say some of our con- uh, conversation was surrounding that, and then just diving yeah. into AI generally. So super relevant and super interesting. I think uh, our listeners will enjoy it. Even yeah, though we didn't have Matt,
0: I know. Yeah, it was. It would have been a better episode. Matt would have enjoyed it. But you know what? We well, I'm sure we can get Adam back on someday in the future. So yeah, that'll be good. Yeah. So, Bitcoin took a nosedive today. Um, it wasn't like a crash and burn, though. We're still treading water, I guess, respectively to the markets, but. If you would have had a limit order in for 25k I think you might have got it today so um, I, I I'm not too concerned about this I see a lot of correlation between uh SpaceX Elon Musk and the potential sale of a significant amount of Bitcoin that attributed to this um, I don't I don't know though I I would have to look at the I would have to look at the wallet activity um, on BitScan to confirm, and I don't even know if looking at that information would give me accuracy in regards to who is the owner of that wallet, respectively. Yeah. Saying, of course. Owner? Oh, no, wait, which wallet now? The wallet that would have been responsible for moving this amount of Bitcoin I or see. cashing out. Well, supposedly, of this amount of
1: Bitcoin. Some people are saying the room was uh, that SpaceX was selling. That That's
0: Bitcoin. yeah. Yep, okay. but, which is Elon. Yeah, I, okay, gotcha, gotcha. I'm sorry. <laughs> SpaceX, SpaceX doesn't act unless Elon
1: says. Of course, of course, yeah. So yeah. interesting, interesting. But um, yeah, I mean, people have been calling it. Obviously, we've had, it's just, Bitcoin has been going up in the midst of a not so great economic environment. So there's always kind of been those warnings though. Um, it's too early to say whether or not Bitcoin is really pulling back or if this is just a temporary dip. But uh yeah, definitely something to be watched out for. I'm not a trader, but I know the traders online are saying it has to recover the twenty-eight K level. Um otherwise it looks like it's gonna retest that twenty-five K level. And if it loses that, you no, know, it's going down. It's going down to at least twenty K.
0: that's ultimately like what it comes down to for this is is the is the levels. And Bitcoin has made has proven to be pretty consistent in terms of its market uh stability from that standpoint especially in such bearish conditions that that we're in as we speak from uh um, at least a, a u.s uh Tradfy standpoint so it's uh it's interesting how it how stable bitcoin has been um respectively to the global markets i mean china's yeah china took a double digit loss in their economy last month and yeah, to say that that's not going to be affecting global markets as a whole collectively, it's it's gonna because it's still a very dependent economy on those yeah. particular markets.
1: Absolutely. I mean, maybe it's a good time to just shift into that news story. But yeah, I mean, it came out basically that um, that China is facing some some pretty pretty serious uh, economic troubles, and yeah, just like you said, no doubt that's going to impact all of us because um, China has just been almost nonstop growth for a long time. So some of those numbers coming out are just signs that, Hey, you know, there's some, some most serious trouble on the horizon. And um, I, I consumers don't know. Were
0: liter- if- Con- mm-hmm. consum- consumers in their economy were literally being restrained from consuming due to restrictions of just living everyday life. I'm surprised mm-hmm. it's kind of taken as long as it has for the writing on the wall to come to fruition.
1: You're Talking about China specifically or just in general?
0: Yeah, just in general, China.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, in China. And I'm not,
0: I'm not, I'm not a China finance expert by any stretch, but normally when you, 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 you nobody has the ability to save in their economy because they're forced to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, and but well, then on top of it, mm-hmm. it, it depending on where you were in that country, you weren't even allowed outside of your
2: house.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, uh, It's definitely an interesting environment. Uh, I was actually talking to somebody in China today – oh, not today, sorry, earlier this week, and it was just super interesting, uh, you know, the the difficulties that kind of just went into making that conversation happen. But maybe I shouldn't talk too much about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yep, yep. Um,
1: But uh, what I will say, though, is what's really interesting about China is in many ways they've been – the US on steroids, as far as where the investment's been going, they've just been nonstop investing in infrastructure. So we talk about a housing crisis here in the US. And I think this is really pinpoints a lot of the conversation here economically. And maybe it's like, people have been calling for this major economic downturn for a number of years. And it's like, maybe we're not at that stage yet. But what people don't realize is just like generationally, like we don't have the generation to replace the boomer generation. And so all of these houses that are sitting on the market and they say, oh, we have like a housing shortage. It's like, actually, we have too many houses because pretty soon, like there's going to be a lot of houses on the open market and not enough, you know, in the generation to, to fill them. And China has basically been doing that on steroids. So they've been, they have these yeah. cities that are basically sitting empty because they're just building, building, building. So, yeah. And so this is, this is the, the you know, the, uh, the foreboding on the horizon is like are we approaching that point where it's like all this investment into infrastructure is just gonna pop this bubble's gonna pop and
0: well um, and they had and and they had such a cultural stigma of the one child policy and then the yeah. government saw the writing on the wall because everybody was getting so much older so then they're like okay now everybody start having two kids and it's like mm-hmm. nobody wanted to have kids because they were only allowed to have one. And it's just like, well, we can only have one. Better not screw that up. It's like, yeah. what did you expect was going to happen? happen. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, it's still... Uh, and this is where it's going to be interesting, seeing where population in respect to global impact from an economic standpoint is going to be trending. Yeah. Because I anticipate seeing more opportunities in emerging markets like India, Africa, yeah. Eastern Europe. Those are some hotbeds from in terms well, yeah, of talk about where, the most... where global supply chains are are yeah, finding totally some right. havens.
1: Yeah, because people want to talk about all the economic trouble in the US and, you know, pose the wan as like a competitor to that. But it's like really all the problems we have in the US are like compounded in China. So yes. it really is kind of those emerging uh countries and um BRICS BRICS is actually having a meeting. I think it's I think it's this coming week unless it's this weekend. Um so they're getting together, you know, the Brazil, Russia, yep. what is it? India uh Canada, what is BRICS? The four is countries. Something. I think I got I think I got all of them right. Except for S. No, what is S? Stand for? Yeah. But a lot of countries, a lot of these emerging countries are actually petitioning to get into BRICS because this uh, trade Brazil,
0: agreement. Russia, India, China, South Africa formed China. in 2010. Oh, sorry, not Canada. <laughs> I knew Canada. Yeah, no, not Canada. Canada. Well, honestly, I think Canada wouldn't mind being the second C in BRICS. Let's be honest.
1: Yeah. But there's uh, there's a number of other countries, if you look that up, that are petitioning to get in. And uh yeah, I that's uh that's a powerhouse um trade agreement though. That's probably gonna be even more relevant going forward. But
0: yeah, bricks so bricks are getting together in South Africa. Um mm-hmm. yeah, that's a weird combination of countries. I'm gonna need to do some I'm gonna need my to do my due diligence on understanding what that what that is and what that means. Yeah, it's so, gonna be more relevant in the future. So for But sure. if you wanna if you wanna kind of Figure out
1: more what's going on with kind of some of these emerging countries. You should check out our episode with Ben Kincaid on Bitcoin mining in Africa because he brings up a lot yeah. of the reasons that these you know these countries are popping off, um, and it really has a lot to do with population. Believe it or not, so it's just where the uh, the signs are. That's living.
0: still probably my favorite episode to date, just yeah. because it touched Underrated a lot of points. Episode. Of- it is. It's, it's it's my favorite one because it touched on a lot of things that I have experience in from a job standpoint outside yeah. of this podcast. So, yeah, uh, selfishly a little bit, but it, it was yeah. a really cool episode. Um, uh, so and just to go back, uh, I'm just looking at a uh, CoinGlass data here from uh the liquidation that occurred today. It looks like mm. 703 million long liquidation in cryptocurrency market. In uh, in in an hour today, approximately, um, with two hundred and one million uh, bitcoin in uh in in bitcoin and a hundred and eighty-two million in Ethereum. Mm-hmm. So from from a liquidation standpoint, so yeah, um, that is uh pretty wild. Major loss. Hey, so, that's a,
1: that's the problem with trading futures. You know, it's like stupid. I I just. I don't think it's a good thing for markets in general, um, and uh, it's just it just creates a cascade of basically failures in both directions, short and long. That as soon as those prices hit, all these things trigger, and it just you know sends volatility through the roof. So, and what you're trading like money you don't have. is kind of it's just I feel like telltale signs
0: of just fiat Ponzi, you know, but oh my gosh Have you see yeah. what happened here with shiba inu nah It literally like lost 500 million from their market cap um <laughs> yeah about <laughs> they, how these meme they, come, for, for anybody who's been whoever's been paying attention shiba inu has been in the news and it, it, they've had some pretty good growth the past couple of weeks in in anticipation of uh another project getting launched. Uh, it looks like uh an L2 network, uh Shibarium mainnet launch and uh yeah, the start has been rocky as anticipated. Um I don't know why we didn't see this coming, but uh looks like uh wow, uh yeah, some additional over 700,000 of the bone tokens were were stuck in a, the bridge contract which means um two and a half million worth of digital assets are currently stuck on the network's bridge contract yeah. rut row. If I do say so myself. So I uh, is. that is uh, because that's, that's such an interesting project. What Shiba but just, it's not, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the community. It's just in terms of the other things that are all surrounding it. I'm just, I struggle to figure out what the goal is. Yeah. To be is honest. The goal. yeah it's,
1: it's total it's total uh what
0: because there's bone and then there's leash and then there's it's just just
1: all it's all just uh it's a pump you know you just pump the coin to make money so
0: (sighs) yeah cheapers
1: hey the last thing I, i really think we ought to at least touch on is um this presidential upset candidate in argentina um if you haven't heard much about him super interesting story this this week so He's not one of the major parties. He's basically an outsider. He's a more or less a libertarian type candidate, and oh, wow, he that'll... received the highest percentage um, in the in the primaries there in Argentina of uh, of votes. So he's looking to upset that race. And what's good about him? Anti central bank, pro Bitcoin, and rabidly so. I mean, you listen to this guy go off, and he he can really go off. He's a big—you uh, might call him like a Trump-esque type character. He says he admires Trump, and um, he really is looking wow. to change a lot of things in the Argentina
0: economy. That's so, a that's going to be a tough economy to change too, because there's so much yeah. European in yeah. European like mafia-esque characters that have influence in that government. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm all for changing some of the some of those South American systems of government, but yeah. it's not going to be uh, it's not well, going to be
1: easy. A lot of these Central American governments are really the ones that are or South American, even are the ones that are really, you know, changing. I, I feel like a lot over the past couple of years. You look at uh, El Salvador, um, you look this candidate in Argentina. Uh, the uh the president the previous president in Brazil that it looks like that election may have been you know tampered with a little bit. But uh yeah they're kind of going much more right right wing libertarian whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And uh it's good for Bitcoin, honestly. So we it, have to see is, how it goes
0: out. I it it here's what I'm looking for from a politician standpoint is like one, challenging the status quo, two uh, what is there are you going to start building a ramp for the future and yeah. three like can we just let people be people and and put people in positions to succeed and and just get rid of the woke garbage honestly like it's not it's it's i know it, it's easier said than done but it's just like there has to be some I'm, I'm not i don't i don't want things to go back to the way they were before 2020 I want whatever comes in the future to be uh, a milestone that builds out for what could be better than what we had previously. Because things have been broken since, for us at least, that we know of, two thousand eight. But they've been broken for a lot longer than that. If we want to go back to when this really, a a lot of this really started, and in what what we know of as as uh, the United States of America, but some of this uh, global pressure from other places like Argentina, that mm-hmm. that 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 can scale um, across the world in in multiple countries if if the influence yeah. is positive and uh, and promotes something good. I mean, shoot, like what happened in Italy there with their new president. I don't know how she's done since she has taken over the reins there, but I mean, shoot, mm-hmm. she quoted C.S. Lewis the night she won the election, and it's just like. I, I i've i'll have to take a look and see what she's been doing lately um i don't know what she's done but that was a unconventional election winner for italy too so there's going to be i have a feeling there's going to be some unconventional uh politicians winning races in countries we wouldn't normally expect if, yeah. if you know what i mean there so 100 yeah it's interesting. Oh, I'm going to do some research on this guy for sure. Um, Javier uh, Mili. Looks yeah, bro, like. this is a
1: hilarious video. He's literally on some talk show with like a, I don't even know what it is. It's like a central bank piñata and he's just beating it
0: with a bat. <laughs> so, well, I mean, that, that, that would be the Trump of Argentina. It, yeah, uh, have, you, have you ever spoken with many Argentinians before? They kind of have a... No. They have a they have a unique flair about them. Uh, Like if you if you were to talk to an Argentinian about who speaks the best Spanish, Mm -hmm. Argentinians would say we speak the best Spanish. Like Mm -hmm. we're we're the purest Spanish speaking uh, Spanish speakers. That like they they kind of have a an ego about them or a gravitas that Mm -hmm. (laughs) sometimes can be perceived as arrogance. But they're just really they're a really proud people. So this is kind of plays into that a little bit and so uh, it'll be interesting to see what other uh, what other memes or or gifs come out of uh, for, come out of his antics but who knows yeah. maybe it's the bowl in the china shop they needed to set you know set some things different cuz clearly whatever's been going on there hasn't been working from a uh, economic standpoint for that country so Definitely. yeah it'll be interesting well uh Let's get into the episode. Uh, We hope you all enjoy the episode with Adam Graber this week. And uh, look for his stuff. And uh, as always, please like, comment, review, subscribe wherever podcasts are found. And we will see you next week. Peace
1: welcome back to the crypto conversion
0: podcast
1: we have with us today adam graber adam is a christian writer and speaker on emerging technologies and has been published by christianity today the bulwark and relevant magazine adam also holds a master's degree in digital theology and co-hosts the device and virtue podcast so uh, glad to have you with us today adam how you doing
2: i'm doing well connor thank you brandon good to meet you and uh yeah thanks for having me on crypto conversion yeah. Super, super glad
1: that you are able to join us today. So we wanted to talk about uh, this article that actually got published in Christianity Today, I think just last month it was.
2: Right. Yep. Uh, July, 2023.
1: About, okay. Awesome. So brand new. Um, I imagine you've already had some discussions about this. I've seen it uh, making its way around <laughs> Twitter. So yes. yeah, super interesting article. And uh, we'll include the link to it in the description if people want to review that. But uh, yeah, let's just Let's just dive into it. We're kind of curious what brought you to this world. Understand that uh, you ride on the intersection of faith and tech um which and a master's degree in digital theology like I didn't even know that was a thing. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe talk like kind of what what set you on this path and then uh you know what has been your your, uh, your path to get you here.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um well, as with all good things in my life, uh it started with a book. Back in 2008, I read a book called The Hidden Power of Electronic Culture. Uh, The title is terrible, but the book was pretty good, and it introduced me to a lot of uh, just the frameworks and thinking around something called media ecology and a thinker named Marshall McLuhan, who uh, is famous for saying the medium is the message. And uh, yeah, just reading that book kind of sparked my imagination for thinking about emerging technologies and their impact on Christian Uh, ministries. And so I just kind of went down that road. Uh, And yeah, then in 2017, I went back to school and got a master's degree in digital theology. So really thinking about how uh, what kinds of questions does the digital world force us to ask about theology? So for example, um, with the emergence of AI, you have lots of questions about, um, what is intelligence uh, and how is that different from human intelligence? And if AI can do all the same things that humans can do, then what's unique about humanity? And uh, that becomes a theological question very quickly. And so digital is sort of asking questions about theology. And then theology is asking questions about uh, digital culture and uh, kind of challenging how we think about digital culture, how we think about um, the habits it creates in our lives and uh, the ways that we interact with one another um, and sort of the ethics around some of those things. So uh, theology comes and in, uh, informs our thinking about uh, digital too. So yeah, I, I got to sort of wrestle with that in my master's uh, and explore that. Um, and so yeah, finish finished that in... 2019 and then uh, suddenly it became really relevant when church was suddenly online for about a year and a half with the pandemic and uh, yeah and also in 2019 uh, launched this podcast device and virtue and uh, my co-host and I we come at technology from very different perspectives and so uh, he's much more of the alpha consumer and I'm a little bit more of the Luddite and so we find ourselves uh, fighting and arguing about the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. And uh, yeah, exploring lots of the similar questions as you guys. And so we've had a lot of fun. We're in our ninth season now um, exploring all of these questions. Um, so yeah, it's been a, a fun process. And yeah, now I get to do consulting with Christian ministries, Christian organizations. Just helping them think about, you know, yeah, what's the opportunity here with emerging technology? And then um, if we go ahead and use AI and uh, Web3 and Metaverse, um, how's that going to shape our organization? How is that going to influence our people? How is it going to influence the ministry we do? How's that going to shape our ministry? Um, so, really, just trying to help them think holistically, not just about how do we use this technology, but how might this technology um, change us as well? So, uh, it's been a, a fun journey and it's really been just a process of sort of following my curiosity and my interest.
0: Yeah, not only is that like a theological uh, equation to solve in our heads, but it's also a philosophical one too, because then you're talking about the human value from uh, what what makes a human human from a, mm-hmm. from a capacity standpoint. And it's like, yeah. there's a lot of different roads you can go down, whether that's, high-level lo- high decision-making, risibility, all of those fun things, because the technology component basically dissolves everything into a math equation or a coding, mm-hmm. uh, the, a, a code of some sort, and that's not necessarily what we were created to be, ultimately, and so it's it definitely treads some fine lines in terms of, can everything be that calculatable internally, right. and and. and of course a mathematical brain will probably say yep <laughs> and then some. somebody who's a little more a little more opinionated or ha- puts a little more thought behind things and isn't as transactional is going to be like no there's 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 more to how the sausage is made here and understanding what that is can can be a multitude of different things so you're as you said you're kind of the you're not you're not anti technology but you're definitely the more the more hesitant one <laughs> what are those things that you look for um Opposed to your co-host, that when you're looking at new technology, what what are some of the? I I want I don't want to say apprehensions, but where where do you get stuck or just need to see more? Because I I just want to flush that out a little bit. Because we all have our different approaches in terms of, uh, you know, oh, this new technology seems a little evasive. Like Mm -hmm. let's just pump the brakes, see what see what we're doing here. Or some some of us, uh, you know, don't. We all have our different. uh, pain points when it comes to like, ugh, like, is that too far? So I'm just, I just want to know what, what, what that is for you. Cause we all have, we all have that in some capacity.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, I think I would say my, my approach is probably focused on a couple of things. Um, one is just that, uh, human beings are fallen, They're broken, they're sinful, and um, we don't have sort of the holistic picture, the entire knowledge that we would need to um, see down the road and understand the impact of our technology. Um, Even apart from whether we use it for good or for evil, and I think, you know, there are people doing both. Um, I think there's just the reality that when we create something, it changes the habits that we have, the practices that we have. It changes how we relate to one another. And, you know, even if we're using uh, Zoom to interact with one another, um, there are ways that that uh, collapses distance. Um, It also uh, uh, collapses our bodies into a two-dimensional space. Um, We come to understand and relate to one another in specific ways. Um, both of you I've we, we've, we haven't met uh, and I wouldn't know how to get to your house uh, if I tried uh, and the, the path t- that I would take to get there um, the landmarks I would see along the way uh, that whole experience um, informs and shapes mm-hmm. the way that I understand our relationship and the way that I understand the context that you live in um but right now it's you know a two-dimensional screen and uh you know a four-inch picture that really is kind of the context within which i understand who you guys are Mm -hmm. um and it's only as we kind of communicate and share that i come to know more about you um but that has an influence on how we understand who each other is and you know the same thing with twitter when we're on twitter and we're typing away our our furious uh Beliefs and our opinions, you know, that's shaping how I understand who you are, and 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 so I think those things are really important. But I think in our brokenness, in our fallenness, that we build things and create things to solve problems. What we don't understand, you know, there's going to be other things down the road, um, new problems that those uh, solutions that create. And so, you know, I'm I'm a little more reticent about. Our ability to really kind of see down that road um, and anticipate that and I think I'm also you know just reticent that when we come up with solutions they're going to be solutions that serve us and that you know build um, build in certain privileges for the people who build them or the people who have the money to use them and will by nature uh, marginalize other groups of people and so you know yeah, I think um, you know if you're an optimist about human nature, you might think differently. And you know, my co-host is not. Uh, he he believes people are fallen and broken too, but he's uh, more optimistic about it than I am. Mm-hmm. And and I think you know it does become a matter of uh, posture and and perspective on some level.
0: Yeah, you what just. In your statement, there two things stood out. Stood out to me was one, like there is there is value in the authenticity of the human experience, the hu- the human experience of adventure, even and and yeah. making those steps and 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 taking those strides to um, engage with somebody else at at a at a human interpersonal level, and then also. Um, you, you, the two-dimensional piece, you, how Connor and I are, are two-dimensional figures to you, having this conversation uh, on uh, August seventeenth, two thousand twenty-three. Um, it's very easy, and I even sometimes recognize this with with work. You know, using Microsoft Teams for everything, um, you, you, being being distanced from people. You know, it, it it definitely can be a temptation to use people as a means to an end, um, as opposed to uh it treating them as as your fellow man because as you said they're through a screen they're through a phone um it, it definitely is is a part of that um you know kantian Con- warning so to speak um and so that that's, that that that's at least what started going through my mind as as you were mentioning that so that that was yeah. a really awesome awesome explanation there i appreciate that yeah you're welcome
1: i'm kind of curious uh maybe we can start like shifting into the uh the conversation now but um you say that maybe you have a slightly less optimistic approach than your co-host. Um, or at the very least, you kind of approach these new technologies, recognizing that there's there's ways things can go wrong and there's ways we can direct things more towards the good. But uh following the publishing of your article on um yep. on Bible GPTs, what has the response been? Do people, is it maybe a lot of people who think that you'll just wildly pro this whole AI thing, and they're taking maybe even the more or less optimistic approach, because um, <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel that maybe that might be the case, right? That uh, a lot of Christians yeah. are kind of scared about these AI technologies, and if you come in here saying, "Hey, we might have Bible GPTs," <laughs> you know, people think that you're one of these crazy tech utopians, right? But it, yeah, yeah, internet,
2: that's not you. Um, yeah, that's that's not me. I would not put myself in the tech utopian camp, but I. I will say that um, oftentimes, I think in my writing, and I think, yeah, yeah, some of my uh, various presentations, I will come off a little bit more optimistic than people would expect me to, maybe. Um, but yeah, just, just to sort of uh, give your listeners a sense of the article itself, I... Um, I was really exploring this question of what if the future of bible engagement is chatting and not reading. What if the future is that we chat with the bible more than we read the bible? You know, what's what is that what happens to bible readers and what happens to church leaders if that's the case? If we go down this path of chatting with the bible more than we read the bible. And I really kind of went through and explored Um, five risks and five opportunities uh, of this sort of future, imagining this sort of future. And I think, um, yeah, I think by kind of having that balanced approach, uh, some people are going to see it as very optimistic or very positive and others are going to see it um, maybe in the more balanced way that I intend. Maybe some will see it as too negative Um, but my hope is to have sort of that, um, that measured approach and I, you know, and balance out the risks and the opportunities a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, the, the response to that article was, um, was really interesting. Uh, one of CT's tweets about it went, uh, the most viral that I've experienced. Um, and so there was a lot of, uh, response, a lot of, a lot of negative blowback, but honestly, the the negative blowback was from people who didn't read the article. They read the tweet, um, and they they saw the tweet, and their responses were a couple things. Um, I'm a heretic. Um, there are demons in chat GPT, or they thought that I was advocating that AIs should create a new Bible for us. Um, nice. Which I, I'm not saying that. Now, granted, the, the title of the article, uh, which CT uh, chose, was "Robot Church Fathers Might Curate New Canons." So, you know, Thank when God, I that's when I read that, I was I was like, <laughs> it, "Yeah, I mean it, it, it definitely it definitely achieved its goal in in sort of uh, getting eyeballs." But again, that's that's an interesting dynamic, right? Um, the, the title itself on Twitter with the right, uh, with the right kind of tweet, the right commentary drives a lot of, um, visibility, a lot of opinions, a lot of people who are going to read the tweet, react to it and move on with their day. Um, but you know, those are, those are dynamics we could talk about, but, um, the people who read it, uh, I would say generally it was a positive response and reception from people. Um yeah, I was I got some good feedback from a couple um scholars who are thinking about religion and technology, Bibles and technology or kind of living in the Bibles and AI space or working in Bible scholarship and thinking about, you know, the onslaught of uh, generative AI. Um I did get uh one um, critique around using I, I use the term AI database um, and uh, I got some pushback from one specific uh, Twitter user about that and I, I think she was right um, I that it the term database misrepresents the way that an AI, that a GPT system works um, and I regret that a little bit. I think uh, it would have been better to call them data sets um, yeah. in Using data sets to train the AI systems, um, and so yeah, I'm, I'm a, I regret that choice, uh, but by and large, I stand behind uh, the rest of it. And um, you know, I'm I'm very open to that critical feedback because I, because I think my goal with the article, um, beyond just sort of thinking about it, was really to stir that pot and really get people thinking about this question, right? Because I don't think um christians have handles on it yet i don't think bible scholars have handles on it yet i think there's a lot more work to do and my goal with the article is really to kind of help people start to think about that to generate some of that conversation to get conversations like this happening where we can talk about it and hopefully uh, listeners will go and talk about it themselves with other people and think about it, and builders will think about it, pastors will think about it, church leaders will think about it, um, and and users will think about it, because this affects all of them, and there are risks for each each of those groups, and I wanted to sort of help each of the gr- those groups start to say, yeah, there are some risks, there are some opportunities, how am I gonna think about that? How do I go down that road and um, imagine that future, and is that the future that we wanna create, if it is great, if not, how do we create the future? What is the future we want? Um, how do we achieve um, a sort of Bible engagement that the Bible itself is intending for us to experience? You know, the, the Bible itself isn't in, intending that we would, um, we as Christians would be encouraged and enabled to connect with God. And then to uh, be transformed and equipped for the mission of the church, you know, the Bible is really kind of connecting us with God and connecting us with our purpose. And uh, if Chat GPT, if Bible GPDs can do that, I think that's a that would be a really good thing and really good opportunity. Um, in what ways will it will it kind of um, misalign that purpose and and drive us in the wrong directions? And those were some of the questions that I wanted to ans- uh, ask and um, and kind of raise in the in the article.
0: Yeah, you're you're right about right on point with the what are the handles elements of this because to an extent the developers of this technology kind of want to let it cook and see what the results are um, and <laughs> just kind of let it. Let it run rampant a little bit, and that's that's the temptation, respectively. Um, considering the nascent stages of it, I'd say they've had it longer than they're willing to give us. Uh, you know, those those they're not going to go put us in the you know inside the, the layers of the onion, respectively. They they they. But I have a feeling they've been working on the the te- the Microsofts, Apple's, Google's of the world have had some something for a while. It's just they weren't ready to fully let it um try to exist on its own it, uh, uh, um and so it's not it's not one the wants to not have the handles on it but two it's it's still being influenced by something. Mm-hmm. The question is like what are those influences because i'm willing to guarantee is probably uh the general thought consensus of uh silicon valley respectively and I, personally being in the midwest i i don't really think like them uh in a lot of ways so it's uh, it's just it's interesting um how those certain levers can kind of push and pull and, and prod things in certain directions but how they kind of just want to let this one just run rampant and see what happens that's that's kind of different than what what we've seen from them before and and who knows maybe they have more control over it than what we even realize yeah it, it, that that's the kicker it's like we don't really know we're not we're not that smart um fortunately uh, a couple weeks ago we had evan Thacker on who's uh who's been working with AI and um been in some of those thought bubbles with mit and and such so we were able to get to pretty high level um conversation in terms of what the consensus is but but even evan in in his understanding of ai he you know he had the kind of the optimistic approach it's like you know let's let's build for the sake of building and making it better let's not try to use it for something that we shouldn't use it for so he's just like obviously like advocating we want to use it for good not bad but it's like it, that that's going to be very hairy from an ethical standpoint, depending on who's working on it. So it's all it's a it's a fun it's a it's it's a fun internal mind equation that we're constantly um, going down. It seems like it's like well, what happens if we just let this go this way and this way and then, yeah, it's it's a it's it seems like it's a never-ending just mental mental game that we we, we play ourselves with these, these hypotheticals uh, at least from, from where we sit because I'm, I can guarantee you I am not going into AI to see what I can do to influence it. In fact, Microsoft's new technology that's going to be incorporating AI is probably going to become the norm for me at work sooner than later and I'm going to be using it to type out emails and documents and generate reports and uh, there's nothing I can do about it because it's going to be such a time saver and it's going to sound like me, it's going to, it's not going to look like me, but it's going to sound like me the way I communicate. It's going to pick up my, my cues and uh, my P's and Q's and, and how I, how I kind of incorporate all of that. And, and I'll be able to say, Hey, make this look a little more official or, you know, <laughs> legal from a contract standpoint or professional, et cetera. Like it's all it, Microsoft's already doing that on outlook essentially. Uh, yeah. Telling you, you know, you probably probably only need to use one word here where you're using five, and I'm just like, but the five makes more sense for the question that I'm asking. It's like there's still like some context contextual things that are missing, so it's it's interesting seeing it. It's it's coming, and it's 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 just it's interesting because the way I've encountered it, at least from from where I sit as a as a prof- as a working professional every day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is going to change the, um, it's going to change almost every industry, I would say. Um, I do think that it has, uh, I think um, one of the big things that's going to, the way I've been thinking about it is, you know, we spent the last 30 to 40 years building the infrastructure necessary to digitize everything. Uh, or everything that could be digitized, um, and to build you know, the internet necessary. But AI is software, and mm-hmm. so it doesn't have the same uh, infrastructure requirements. It doesn't need um, cell towers. It doesn't need fiber optic cable. It doesn't need computers and smartphones um, to be installed in order to uh, spread. Um, all of all of those things are already in place, so we've digitized everything already, and AI is going to. In I I would say in the span of five years, um, it's going to create as much change as the last thirty have in terms of digitizing things. So, um, oh. I think I think the speed at which AI is going to influence our lives will be much faster than. Um, the speed at which the internet came and uh, shaped our lives. That's, I mean, that's a scary thought.
1: I was just, as I was reading your article, my thought was that um, I think one of our biggest problems as Christians is just that we, we haven't responded fast enough to some previous technological evolutions um, because we'd like to have these kind of discussions. And honestly, I think it would be better to have these discussions in general before we kind of launch these things. But the fact is that
0: it'll uh, never happen
1: the secular humanists out there don't don't really care to speak about these things as much, so we kind of just dive yeah. full speed ahead yeah. into <laughs> these new uh, these new paradigms but um yeah it, uh, at this Catholic crypto conference that Brandon and I met at actually, it was interesting. They were telling us that um in the early days of the internet uh, the Catholic Church was actually putting out basically memos to their I guess the bishops and their their clergy saying, Hey, like, let's not do this internet thing right now. We're not, you know, we don't know what to think (laughs) about this basically. So, um, in general, the church just kind of missed that evolution, at least at the building grounds. And it's like, well, who dominates the internet now it's these big tech companies like Facebook and Google. And so basically the secular people went, you know, full speed ahead with this stuff and, and built the infrastructure that now we're relying on. And, um, I just think that at least one of our goals here with this podcast is we don't want to repeat that. So we would prefer to not take the most optimistic approach necessarily, but take the more pragmatic approach, which is to say, Hey, if we don't build this stuff, you know, then someone else
2: is. So just that that conversation needs to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting, I I understand, you know, there's been a long sort of um, reputation that the church is behind uh technologically and i think there is some truth to that i think there's also the reality that there are pockets of christians who have been at that forefront i mean you look at logos bible software and you know digitizing of the bible back in 1982 maybe something like that i mean uh it wasn't the church at large so to speak but it was there were pockets of christians and then you look at something like you version it was on the apple app store on day 1 so the bible was in the apple app store on day 1 and it's you know been downloaded 800 million times or whatever by now and so you know that that was one church and one group of people who were making that decision it wasn't the church at large but they they were kind of at that um, innovation moment. And you have even, you know, um, Martin Luther in the printing press, right? Famous, you know, example, like he was at the forefront of a lot of that technology and leveraged it to expand his own perspective, right? Um, and I think even, you know, when I, so I'm, I'm not Catholic, but I look at, when I was doing a ma- my master's, a lot of what came to me was the reality that like the people doing the best work in thinking theologically about technology are Catholic. Like the, the Vatican is doing great work there. They just released their AI uh, ethics handbook. Um, and the only other sort of large organization that I'm aware of from a Christian standpoint that has anything like that is the Southern Baptist Convention. Um you know, they they put out a AI a statement on AI maybe two years ago. Um, so there are people already thinking about it, but they there there's pockets of people. It's not the church at large that's doing this. It's not being adopted at large that way. Um, but I do think that there are, yeah, small groups, um, and so you know I'm I'm hopeful from from that perspective, and I think I would also say that I don't think it's the church's responsibility to build technology um i think the church's responsibility is to use it mis- prudently <laughs> <laughs> well to advance the mission but to advance the mission of god um and i think that really means in a lot of ways like stewarding the spiritual lives of of the world um and and to help people steward their spiritual lives. And I think technology sort of draws us away from our spiritual lives in a lot of ways. It distracts us from our spiritual lives. And I think the church is a voice that needs to call people back to their spiritual lives. And so, you know, can they use technology to do that? Yes, I think so. Um, But it's, it's not that they're necessarily, they don't have the mandate from, from God to be the, one's advancing technology and so you know yeah i think i'm just um i'm optimistic about the way the church does handle their technology um i recognize that by and large the church can be behind um and that churches you know every single parish kind of can be behind because they're an institution um trying to do but they're trying to do something other than like be on the cutting edge technologically and so um yeah i just i i think there are ways to read what the church is doing in a in a positive light and um and in a in a hopeful way
0: some examples of that so you're, you're bringing up the the catholics kind of being on the cutting edge so i'm actually uh funny enough um i bishop Barron is my bishop so i see a lot of the fruits of word on Fire. Um and I I've, I've I have friends that have worked for Word on Fire for for a while now and so it's a bit pretty big Catholic media mm-hmm. epicenter for the church here in America. I actually, uh it's f- funny enough, um, we were up uh, in Duluth visiting, uh where I think it was for for my wife's work. It was an offsite. We were. We stopped in and uh, had mass with Father Mike Schmitz the day that he finished uh, Revelation for Bible in a Year. Uh, he was he was pretty stoked that day, and it was so we were just kind of chit chatting with him in his small little rectory that he that he lives in on the university up there, and he had he had just finished it. And then, um, yeah, Hallow, uh, what Kevin and Lisa Cotter have done from a from an evangelization evangelization standpoint, and that's a very ecumenical uh, project too with Hallow because there's people on there that aren't necessarily catholic like yeah super sweet mark Wahlberg's on there and he's catholic and and uh you know uh, and you can have him reading the bible but drew holiday um milwaukee bucks point guard he's not catholic he's just christian and he's just on there talking about how his faith motivates him to uh, be a better man for his life for his family and not just you know and and life's just not all about basketball so there's a lot of so i don't from the Catholic side i as you were mentioning that, I'm just like, oh yeah, actually like i i I'm in circles with a lot of those people, actually, so it's just kind of funny how uh how I was just like, oh shoot, like maybe we to tap into some of those resources for the podcast here, uh considering that, that I'm really close to a lot of those people, so um yeah it's uh that's awesome stuff, and uh yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to look at that a little bit more not not that i wasn't considering it for this podcast but the directions that our podcast has kind of gone down i don't know if we anticipated this ai boom the way that we did but um considering anybody anticipated it (laughs) no no but considering the intersection between um christianity and catholicism and technology uh, what we we were we're slowly recognizing an opportunity to be a little, little bit more vast than just our our web3 blockchain world and it it still intersects so that's that's been the beauty of it all the same
1: yeah we definitely see a lot of christians that are building you know stuff in tech and um i guess the question is like how can we be supportive of those projects while also you know wanting to bring this dialogue that says Let's have a conversation about these things. And that's always the tough balance to strike. Um, so I think we've done a yeah. little bit of something different on this podcast than maybe some others have done. But we have to kind of still be cautious and kind of ask these questions like, um, you know, where where can these things go wrong? And how can we make sure that we're building these things according, you know, to the vision of God? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so you mentioned in your article um, and speaking about faith traditions, too, so obviously Brandon's Catholic. I was raised more or less charismatic, Pentecostal. Um, and yeah. so you you mentioned in your uh, Christianity Today article just this concept that, uh, you know, we have all these different traditions and we might need these Bible GPTs that are going to be trained on data sets within these yeah. respective traditions so that uh, they can respect, you know, the, the, the Christian... Traditions of all these different denominations, right? Yeah, yeah. So I but thought that a- was a- interesting.
0: A- AI is going to want to make things more ecumenical, right? By 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 practice, just because it, it it's not that it's tra- but it's trying to be kind of a a general thought consensus, right?
2: Yes, yeah, so, yeah. So it it is. This is an interesting dynamic, right? So yeah, one of the risks I said was um, that it would sort of create these. Um, these tradition silos where uh, each tradition would sort of want its own GPT system to be represented um, or er, sorry its own tradition to be represented within a GPT um, and, and you, you would achieve that by you know putting in only um, you know Catholic approved content writers Uh, confessions perspectives or only presbyterian perspectives or only lutheran perspectives and so yeah you might end up with you know lutheran gpt or catholic gpt Um, and so there there's a need for church leaders to be the ones having a voice at that in in deciding what goes into that data set. You know, which writers, what content goes into the training data for that GPT system. Um, because if if they're not deciding, then it's you know tech developers who maybe don't have the background knowledge around you know a specific tradition. You know, and someone like Logos Bible software has already done this in various ways, right? You can buy a Catholic package from Logos Bible Software. You can buy a Lutheran package or a Presbyterian package. So they're already making decisions like this about what qualifies as Presbyterian or Catholic or Lutheran or whatever. So that's uh, you know that's a risk. There's a bit of an opportunity there. Uh, but Brandon, yeah, like you were saying, um, another aspect of it of this is that because GPTs are essentially these auto-suggestion features on steroids, where it's auto-completing your ideas, um, and it's taking the the last couple thousand words to extend forward the ideas, Um, and it's using math to do that. It's using uh, a probability or an average to sort of predict what's the most likely next word. And because it's, depending on sort of averages and probabilities, it's going to tend toward the middle. And one of the things that I think is a positive, potentially positive outcome here is that it's actually anti-polarizing. So it's gonna move people towards the middle in any question that they're asking, they're gonna kind of get the middle of the road answer in their perspective. And so, yeah, if you were to kind of throw everybody into the bucket, from you know, Catholic to Presbyterian to charismatic, like if everybody goes in and you ask that question, you're going to get sort of the most common answer. Um, and so that actually moves us away from sort of the polarizing uh, dynamics of social media today and actually moves you towards a more kind of shared perspective. Now, that's assuming that lots of people are using this on a daily basis, and they're sort of all asking similar questions, and it's m- moving everybody collectively towards this more uh, common perspective. you know it could go the other direction and for some r- reason or another, but I think the the way that I understand GPTs to be designed, they are going to move us towards a, a middle point um, at scale
0: yeah and pl- pluralism is good to a point. But it's not going; it doesn't necessarily solve everything um, from a from a core belief standpoint. And that's where and and there's 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 gonna be those. uh, What do I say? There's gonna be those. uh, What do you call it? There's gonna be those breaking points where people won't budge on certain things. Like I can think of internally where where mine are in relationship to being Catholic versus. You know, Lutheran. My dad converted to Catholicism before marrying my mom, um, and so just seeing that that difference in in his the way he thinks about his Catholic faith in relationship to his Missouri Synod upbringing um, is is very interesting. And I've that I that's why I've always appreciated converts' perspectives on Catholicism because they're from an outsider. Who came in and it's just like how did you look at this before because it's it's different than i ever looked at it being what they consider quote unquote a cradle catholic i'm i enjoy having these conversations with other christians because of their perspectives us being very similar but very different at the same time is there's sure. a there's a beauty in the dissonance um but it's not it's not necessarily a dissonance it's it's more so just like A bunch of different ways to basically come to same conclusions ultimately which is salvation kind of why i appreciate connor on here because him and i are both kind of naturally pessimist but he also sees things very differently from from a christian perspective with his upbringing so it it helps to have the wide breadth of uh opinions and diverse thoughts and 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 that's partially it it's like as long as we can still extract and look at the differences side by side i th- that's that's all i i hope that the focus doesn't get too blurred in in that pluralistic middle because that could be the temptation like you were saying it's like what is, what is what does the law of averages say according to the equation here according to the language and that's the yeah. that's always where where i kind of get like oof, the like this is this is great this uh, you know it's kind of like keep my technology out of my uh out of my sunday or out of my out of my faith or out of my prayer it's like and and then here i am pulling up the act of contrition on my phone when i'm in confession because i can't remember the prayer anymore so it's it it, it, it's the lines get blurred all the time between like where technology is acceptable where it's not and and it it, ultimately it it comes down to what is the utilization point is it bringing you closer with your faith is it bringing is it drawing you in or is it separating you so that that that's that's kind of where i kind of sit with it from from my internal perspective at least so i'm just curious from from your yeah. standpoint how you see that
2: well yeah yeah i guess you know i'm thinking even about um you know we're kind of using tech technology in this broad sense mm-hmm. um, but we're kind of also thinking about maybe digital technology ai specifically but even take something like the church building And Mm -hmm. the sanctuary itself, right? So we we build these buildings that have a certain sort of design to them, um, and they orient the participants to what they're doing in certain ways. So, you know, if I'm um, if I'm in a evangelical church today, you know, it's going to look like a theater, and there's going to be a stage. Yep. and there's going to be some screens and those are going to inform sort of what I think worship is what I think church is um, whereas if I go into a Catholic church or an old cathedral in Europe it's it's going to be a little bit different um, there's going to be some similarities uh, you might have a raised platform yep. that some people might call a stage but um, the. Sanctuary. Ex- the, the acoustics <laughs> right the acoustics yep. are going to be very different yes. um and so the music might be very different and uh and the the nature of kind of what you're doing or what you're seeing um is could be different and those are all just things that are um informed by the buildings that we've built to do the mm-hmm. worship that we do um and so in the same ways like you know we could say there are there's ways that we've kind of moved towards a middle, and most churches kind of look like this today. Um, I've been in Catholic churches that feel um, more like an auditorium. Absolutely. Uh, you know and so um, you know th- there is there is sort of a a, a law of averages kind of um, driving a little bit of that too. Um, and I think that's you know uh, that's maybe a rough parallel. To the ways that uh, an AI system might move us towards a theological middle. That's
0: no, that's a great parallel. That that is, uh, I've been noticing that extensively as of late too. In a lot of new churches that are being built, and even cathedrals that are being built, they kind of uh, share the same uh, geog. What you call it? Just Architectural, the same look architectural uh um uh what do you call it just uh ab- abstract like the, the, modern, they started modern. to yeah just modern and abstract it's just like the same as it's like kinda, the things we're we're seeing in in parks now it's like did did we really need to make it look that obscure and abstract if it's gonna be a church like like what's wrong with a church looking like a church did it doesn't have to be like the shape of a of, of a really strange triangle, like it, like it's just it, it, a church should be. It would be nice if we if we saw a church, we knew what the church looks like, and it's like, yep, that's a church, I can guarantee it, no questions. But lines get blurred, so
1: the strip mall churches. I mean, that's a, that's a. I feel like that's such a quintessential American thing. You know, you're gonna have a church in a strip mall, or a, an old movie theater that's been transformed into a church
0: or shoot even even the local in in bigger cities they have like sunday service at the local uh performing arts center where they literally had the broadway tour come through the night before and on sunday people go there and it's quote-unquote church with a rock band (laughs) and uh it's just i i saw some crazy stuff at, at a building we were having an event at one time and i was just like what like there's a, there's a church going
1: on here. We're very humble, you know. We just uh, we hold church wherever we can.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair. That's fair. <laughs> but
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, I was I I like this idea of that we could have like different GPTs for you know individual denominations, or at the very least that we could have some sort of a measured approach to these things, and in, in such a way that we could uh, you know build AIs that respect all of our individual preferences and whatnot. But I do think there's something to this concept that in general the biggest, you know, platform is usually what succeeds or what ultimately dominates our life. You know, you have these mm. the Twitters of the world, the Facebooks yeah. of the world, the Googles, yeah. and it's like you just can't escape from them, right? Right. And so and Chat GPT, you know, seems set at the very least. I'm sure there's gonna be competitors but it's creating this general AI that can just be the, you know, the go-to for most of our questions. And um, while I would agree with you that the church or Christians in general don't have a responsibility to build tech, I would hope to see more Christians involved in some of these projects that are, you know, what ultimately becomes like the societal standards, you know, yeah, the Googles, absolutely. the GPTs. And so, um, so I'm curious, this is a question you asked in your article. I don't think we're going to get to like any of the other topics on the outline today, <laughs> but that's just the way these things go, you know, but there's so much yeah. here in this, in this one article you wrote. But so your question was in analyzing like what kind of writing should be included in, you know, these hypothetical Bible GBTs, um, you know, who's going to be making these decisions, right? Uh, is it going to be denominational leaders, tech leaders, book publishers, people who control the intellectual property. And yeah. um, I think that's like really the question, like who are we, who are we like talking to because we can have these conversations, you know, amongst ourselves, but if we're not the ones that are building it, right. Or if we can't convince enough of us who are using it to demand that this stuff gets built, mm-hmm. then we're probably not going to succeed. Right. So yeah. I, I feel like that really is the question like, so who, who is it that we really need to educate on these things and convert, or um, you know, speak yeah. to?
2: Yeah, yeah, and I I take your point. I perhaps I overstated um, a little bit when I said you know I don't think the church has a mandate, um, because I, an example I think that a lot of tech builders might think about Christian tech builders might think about. Um, and I think rightly so, would be Bezalel, Exodus 31. Bezalel is given the spirit of the Lord. He's the first person in the Bible who is given the spirit of the Lord, and he's given to the spirit of the Lord to build the tabernacle. So he is, he is a skilled craftsman, and his work is to build a place of worship for the Lord. And he uses his skills for that purpose. And I think that Christian tech developers can take great encouragement from that because when we think about what they're doing, there's a sense in which um, even throughout Scripture we get the sense that um, not only do the heavens declare the glory of God, but the fact that the whole earth is intended to declare to declare the glory of God and that it is the role of the church to work towards that end and to work towards bringing all things into um, alignment with Christ and bringing glory to God. And I think that includes artificial intelligence. And so, you know, I don't want to create this sacred secular divide. Where mm-hmm. pastors are doing the the good things, and all, all the rest of us are doing sort of secondary work because i don't think i don't believe that at all. Um, I think that each of us, as we are called and led by the spirit, are following the spirit into the good work that we have to do, and so yes the the work of a tech builder is to not only do the building but do the praying and the thinking behind what they're building and to continually like steer that back towards um the worship and glory of god and what what does that look like we have to think about that together you know and my hope with an article like mine is to sort of spark that conversation um so yes i you know i i think I think you're right on in saying like there's a place for what tech builders are doing and they need to be involved. And I think in fact, you know, they are being called by the Holy Spirit. I think they sense that call in their own lives to do that building and to, and, you know, I sense the call on my life to help think that through, to help, um, help, you know, frame our, discussion in, in terms like Bezalel, so that we have this frame of thinking about our, our work. Um, that's the call that I, I feel. And so my hope is that you know together there's a dialogue between um, pastors, priests, church leaders, and tech builders in such a way that we can sort of um, learn from one another and, and benefit from one another in building together and not sort of being in our own, um, industrial or commercial silos, uh, not just our, uh, church silos, but you know, the the public silos that we might find ourselves in.
0: That uh, yeah, that's, that was well put as, as we close things out here. Um, yeah, we, we just really appreciated you taking the time to join us this evening. Thank you very much. And, uh, as, as we close things out, uh, where can the people follow your work? Um, what's 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 up and coming? Uh, what are you what are, what what conversations are you ah uh, are you prompting uh, in your in your future writings? Uh, yeah, just yeah. let people know where they can follow you.
2: You know, all all, all the things I'm prompting right now are on ChatGPT. So, okay. um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm n- none of not, none, <laughs> none of the writing that I'm doing. Uh, is coming from chat gpt i i've used it less actually in the last couple months than uh i did earlier in um spring in the spring um yeah uh i mean i'd say the best place to stay in touch with what i'm doing uh is still twitter at adam graber uh but man i i heard someone call it a elon musk's zombie site uh recently and i was like man that's turning into that feels too accurate um <laughs> and so i feel uh, a sense of despair about that but um yeah uh you can check out my writing or just other ways to contact me on my website adamgraber.com um yeah uh would love to have people check out device and virtue uh if they're in- intrigued by that um yeah those are the best places to connect with me
0: Awesome. And we'll be sure to leave links for those in the description of this video. Um, As always, this is the Crypto Conversion Podcast, and we hope you all have enjoyed. Please like, comment, review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe to Device and Virtue as well to listen to Adam and hear more of his thoughts. And we will see you all on the next episode. Have a great week. Peace.